If you've got a Bible, uh, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you need a good Bible, uh, get one at Guest Connections. We also have some study Bibles. If you need one of those, I'd love to get one of those in your hands. So we've kind of got this two-week window of time between uh, the Gospel of Luke, where we wrapped up last uh, Sunday in that section of Luke, and then we begin life in community on the 12th. And so today and next Sunday, we have this two-week window where we want to uh, encourage us as a new ministry year begins, our 19th year together, as a new ministry year begins, uh, to encourage us through the Word of God. And I think Second Peter 1, with this call to make every effort, is a timely one for us to consider. And so I want to read the passage in its entirety, verses 1 through 15, that we're going to look at this Sunday, next Sunday as well. In the CSB translation, it says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it's right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. So August 24th, this past week, marked our 18th year as a church. And for 18 years now, we've, we've always seen it as an uh, important date to consider, to be reminded of, to kind of put on the calendar, because it reminds us of two things. It reminds us to look backward and say, God's been faithful. God's been good. God's been gracious through 18 years of ministry. It's also a day for us to look forward and say, there's gospel work to be done. There are loved ones we are praying would trust in Jesus. There are sins that we want to find victory over. There is growth that we want to see take place in our lives, in our characters, and so it's an opportunity for us to look back and look forward. We're 18 now, so we can finally sign for ourselves. We are really, really growing up. A couple years, we could drive today. We can vote. We can sign for ourselves. Really growing up. But 18 is a significant age in the life of a person. It's usually toward the end of high school or right after high school. And it's a pivotal time in the trajectory of a person's life. 
at 18, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to pursue maturity. Now, I would wholeheartedly argue that a person should be doing that long before 18 and not treat it like a uh, light switch to flip on. But at 18, it's a pivotal time in a person's life to say, it's time to grow up. As, as a church, our chief shepherd, Jesus, is calling us to continue to grow up. And such a command is not new to the Scriptures, nor, nor only applicable at age 18. It's the call of every disciple of Jesus Christ to grow up into Him, to make progress in the faith, to bear spiritual fruit as we pursue the Lord in a posture of repentance. And some of you are stuck spiritually. You're kind of in this holding pattern, not growing. Some of you are actively drifting from the Lord. The temptation of sin has arisen in your life, and your, your life would not be characterized by one of repentance or tenderness toward the Lord, but rather this subtle or maybe really significant rebellion toward Him. Others of you are making progress in the Lord and returning, returning to Him, and praise God for that growth. Praise God for His grace at work in your life. No matter how you characterize your life pattern right now, in the end, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're trusting in Him, you and I are called to grow up into, into Him. You need to grow up in the Lord. I need to grow up in the Lord. We need to grow up in the Lord. See, to be a Christian isn't simply, I mentally agree with these biblical facts, but my life doesn't change at all. Nor is it, okay, I've got fire insurance to escape hell while our earthly lives don't experience any joy, change, or growth. Believers in Christ are disciples of Him. And as disciples, we are students of Jesus, our teacher. So we're growing to be more like our teacher, Jesus. And we've been commanded to grow. And here's one of the most encouraging biblical realities that Peter reminds us of in this passage. The Lord has given you everything that you need that is required for life and godliness. You're not lacking. You're not deficient. You're not left to your own ability to try to grow yourself up. And that's a deeply encouraging truth. Because when we consider the Lord commanding us to grow, some of you begin already to throw excuses as to why you can't. Well, I didn't grow up in church. I just don't have much of a background in the faith. And His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. I have all sorts of baggage and hurt in my life. And did you see the U-Haul I pulled up in out here? His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. I have a spouse or family members who don't support my faith and are antagonistic toward it or just really passive toward it. And His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Our life is crazy, it's so busy. We've got kids and activities and all these things and fill in the blank. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Have you seen the chaos our world is in? Have you seen how they're addicted to noise and division and chaos? I don't know, but the future is going to hold, and His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Whatever it is, this truth overcomes it. 
that His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. And what should be our response to that truth? Peter tells us in this passage that it, it is to make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith, to increase your Christ-likeness, to deepen your devotion to Jesus. And we are enabled to make every effort not by us trying to manufacture the strength or desire from ourselves, but from Him. In this passage, Peter is calling the, the readers to make every effort to grow up, but at the same time, and before he makes that call, he's pointing them to the foundation upon which they stand. Christ is the cornerstone, a secure, stable foundation upon which they can then strive for godliness. Here in this letter, two of Peter's main focuses, one is calling Christians to grow up in godliness, and one is to expose false teaching so that Christians don't succumb to it so they don't veer off, so they don't drift. Because when a church or Christians veer toward false teaching, it leads to ungodly places and practices. So Peter wants his readers to be firm in the foundation of their faith because it's from that solid foundation that we make every effort to supplement our faith. So we're going to look at the first seven verses today. Verse 1 again, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter was one of the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus, who followed him, who was there for earthly ministry, there for crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. And following the resurrection and ascension, Peter becomes this bold, faith-filled leader and apostle in the New Testament church, a lifelong servant of Jesus. And as a servant and under-shepherd of Jesus, Peter wants to encourage the people of God, the people who, like him and the apostles, who have received a faith. Received, meaning brothers and sisters in Christ today, along with Peter and John and Paul and Barnabas and Priscilla and Lydia and Timothy's mother and grandmother and all these New Testament saints, all these believers between New Testament and now, all these brothers and sisters in Christ have received a faith. We didn't go out and earn it. Peter didn't go out and earn it. We have received our faith in Christ. We didn't earn our way into a right standing with God. Received a faith through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Righteousness means to have a right standing well, when we were born, we were not born into a position of a right standing with our Creator. And on our own, we don't have the ability to perform our way into a right standing. Galatians 3 tells us that, that righteousness doesn't come through the law, meaning it can't be earned. You can't earn your way into it by how well you obey the rules and commands. Instead, we are told throughout the New Testament, including here, that righteousness comes through faith, not through the law a faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And notice that Peter tells us here that Jesus was not just a man. He's God, He is divine, and as a result, He is able to be our Savior. For the only true and righteous one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent by the Father to seek and save the lost, to live perfectly, to measure up to the law and its perfections, and then die in our place bearing the penalty of sin that he did not commit, but that we had, rising again on the third day, and now by grace alone, 
Through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are able to receive, be given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His right standing with the Father is now ours through faith. And that right standing then is secure. It's stable. It's assured. If you and I were to go out and earn our way into righteousness, if we could, if we could actually do that, it wouldn't be stable at all. Because what happens on your bad days? And this last week, I bet we all had at least a partial bad day, if not 24 hours. What happens on that day? No, you go to bed terrified. Or you nailed it. You had an awesome seven days in a week. If so, sit at my table. I want to hear all about it. But you know where that path leads? Self-righteousness. Pride. You beat your chest thinking you are awesome. You've earned your way into righteousness. So if we think we can work for our righteousness rather than receive His righteousness by faith on the days we blow it, we'll find ourselves on ground and foundation that gives way. On the days we think we nail it, we'll begin slipping toward pride and away from dependence upon the Lord. Praise God that believers have received righteousness from Jesus, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, so it's secure, it's stable. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter's praying, may grace and peace multiply in your life. May it abound in your life. Again, not grace and peace created by us, but rather the grace of God, the peace of God that we receive and enjoy from Him. And he tells us that grace and peace are multiplied in our lives through what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We grow in grace when we grow in the knowledge of Jesus. We grow in peace when we grow in the knowledge of who our Lord is. Now, does, does knowledge simply mean facts? Like the more facts you know about the Lord, the more gracious and peaceful you will be. That's not what Peter means by knowledge. Listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks of knowing Jesus in Philippians 3. In verses 2 through 6 in Philippians 3, Paul is listing all these ways that he had previously and incorrectly thought that he was earning a righteousness. He was born into the right family, did all the right religious activities, obeyed the law of Moses far better than those around him. And then he meets Jesus dramatically. Acts 9 tells the story, and Paul, Paul's self-righteousness comes crumbling down in a second when he's met with the goodness and the holiness of Jesus. Paul is saved, given a right standing with God through Jesus, and he moves from, from a religious activity to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So then Paul writes this, starting in verse 7 of Philippians 3, but everything that was a gain to me, all these all these things that I thought was earning, a right, right, uh, earning a, a right standing with the God, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him, he writes. 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's relationship. That's not simply facts. There's a vast difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. The demons know about Jesus. You can read the Gospels and recognize and see that they know about Jesus, but they do not bow down and worship Jesus. Believers are those who know Jesus, not through casual acquaintance, but through this consistent personal relationship. Going back to 2 Peter then, he's saying grace and peace abound in our lives. And if those are growing in our lives, that means we're making progress in the faith. Grace and peace multiply through the knowledge of Jesus. Through knowing Jesus, he says the same thing in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So believers have received righteousness. Now Peter reminds us that the Lord, through His divine power, has given. Do you see how good our God is? Do you see how good our God is? He's the source. He's the source of our righteousness. He's the source of our divine power. He gives. He gives to His people. Brother and sister in the Lord, He's given you everything required to live a life that honors God and grows up into Christ. Our, God's plan is not just salvation in Him, but our sanctification in Him. Philippians 1 tells us He's faithful to finish the work that He has begun in us. So He doesn't save you and then leave you by the roadside to figure it out on how to glorify Him. He's given you everything you need for the journey, starting with His presence, His power in your life, the promise that He will not forsake. Peter again points to the truth that that it is through the knowledge of Him that we grow. So practically speaking, how do we grow in that knowledge? It's through His Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. The Word, Genesis to Revelation, points to the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said this in John 5, 39. He said, the Scriptures testify or tell about Him. Genesis to Revelation. So friends, when we open our Bibles and read the living and active Word, ultimately it's helping us know Jesus better. It's helping us grow in our understanding of His character, what He loves, what He despises. To put it bluntly, you and I will not grow in our faith apart from dwelling in and reading His Word on a consistent, regular basis. That's how we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Not apart from the Bible, but through the Bible. At Crosspoint, we want to be a people anchored to the Word. Too many Christ followers are trying to grow up in godliness apart from a steady diet of God's Word, apart from the gift that He's given to us through His Word. Like I said in the beginning, if you need a good study Bible, I'll get you one today. We have some to give away. Not to sit on a shelf, but to be used to help you grow in the knowledge of Jesus. The Scriptures tell of Jesus, which enables us to grow in the knowledge of Him, and that empowers us for godliness and Jesus-like actions and attitudes. Verse 4, then, by, the, by these, He's given us very great and precious promises so that through them, You may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. 
again, the Lord has given. Through the gospel, the Lord has given very great and precious promises, promises that are sure and steadfast. What are some of these precious promises? In Christ, we have the promise of forgiven sin. In Christ, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of a perfect heavenly Father. In Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. In Christ, we are new creations in Christ and no longer old selves. The old is gone. In Christ, we are reborn into a new, eternal, spiritual family with brothers and sisters to do life together with. In Christ, you've been freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin in your life. By His glory and goodness, He's given believers in Christ precious promises. And so these are sure. They're not going anywhere. These are not written in pencil. His glory and goodness are beyond compare, so nothing is greater, nothing is more sure of these. As we dwell on these promises, as we remember them and know them, we share in the divine nature, not meaning that we become God, but rather we are reminded that His his power lives in us through His Spirit. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us. Galatians 5 calls us to be led by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. And when we grow in understanding the precious promises of the gospel, when we are led by the Spirit, Peter tells us here that we are then enabled to escape the corruption that is in this world. Not meaning we'll be freed of sin entirely, not meaning Willy Wonka straight to heaven, but in an increasing manner we'll be able to turn from the temptations of our flesh, the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world, And we'll be able to repent and be reminded, oh yeah, the things of this earth, the desires of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, the pride of my heart, none of these hold a candle to the powerful and dear promises we have in the gospel. Eternal promises given to believers by His glory. Consider in your mind one or two of your greatest temptations. Idolatry, jealousy, envy, gossip, Selfish ambition, a substance, sexual immorality, hate, greed. Or here's two gems for 2020 and 2021. Fear, anxiety, worry. You and I will not overcome these temptations in our lives apart from the Holy Spirit's divine nature in us, dwelling on and meditating on the eternal promises of the gospel. I've said this before, but we don't walk into a spiritual battle from a defeated position, but from an elevated one, one of victory. This is what Peter is saying here. The God who has given you righteousness through His Son, the one who has shown you grace upon grace, and that you're at peace with through His Son, the one who who has divine power, the glorious and good in every way, He is living in you and through you and is for you. Divine nature is in you, brother and sister, through His Holy Spirit. This week, may you dwell more and more on the precious promises. And as you do, may they overwhelm the lies of the enemy, the lies of our flesh. Finally, verses 5 through 9, or 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, 
goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For this very reason, it points us back to verses 1 through 4 and all these stable and sure truths that believers have in the gospel. He is given, we have received, and in response to His goodness, because of the gospel, we make every effort. We make every effort in response to the finished work and the finished effort of Christ through His life, death, and resurrection. We make every effort in response to the truth that He's coming again. The foundation upon which we are pushing off of is not sandy. You ever tried to walk up a sand dune? You just feel like it's just it's struggle to get up there. It's not sandy. This is a rock-solid foundation that we're pushing off of, making every effort from a place of security in Christ. Heather and I went to Florida for vacation this summer, and, and while we were at the beach, we... Uh, we saw, I saw three kids on a paddleboard, stand-up paddleboard, and, and they're probably ages 8, 10, 11, somewhere in that range, okay? And slowly and eventually what happens is the kids just kind of start drifting down the shoreline, drifting down the beach. And boy, one of them was rowing, probably the oldest, just rowing away, wasn't strong enough compared to the flow of the ocean, but making every effort. So the dad has been watching them the whole time. Like a good dad, not rescuing right off the bat, just like, okay, what's going on here? Let's see if they can get this out. No, no, not going to happen. He's watching them the whole time, eventually goes down toward where they were drifting and starts to pull them back to where they started. The kid that was rowing just continues to row. The young boy was making every effort. In the end, it only led to progress rather than drifting when his father entered the equation. Apart from our Heavenly Father, apart from the gospel of His grace, the power of the Spirit, we will not drift toward growth and godliness. That's not the natural flow of of our flesh or the corrupt world that we live in. But with the Father, as we dwell on His power and goodness and glory, we will grow. And we'll be making every effort. We won't just kind of be passively standing on the paddleboard of faith, if you will. No, we'll be rowing and working up a sweat, being intentional. And as we do, we'll experience the power of our Lord at work through that. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So keep standing. Keep rowing. Keep standing firm. Don't sit down. Keep rowing. Keep making every effort. Verse 13, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. It's God's power at work in you. Our striving apart from the grace of God still leads to drift. Drift toward sin, drift toward self-righteousness, drift toward fear, whatever it is. But our every effort with God working through that leads to godliness. It's God's power at work in you as you stand, as you row. For us to understand this command to make every effort, we must first understand 
the truth of the gospel of God's grace. This is why Peter spends so much time on it in this passage. If we, are, if we believe we are saved through a gospel of works, then as one pastor said, we change Philippians 2, 12 and 13 to read this way. I will work out my, my salvation in order that God might work in me. A.K.A. I will work in order to earn His grace and His power. One commentary said it this way. The gospel is not opposed to effort. The gospel is drastically opposed to earning. There's a monumental difference between effort and earning. Peter is saying in this passage, remember the true gospel and let that motivate not your earning but your effort and move you toward effort and discipline and intentionality in your faith. The grace and effort, they go hand in hand. But they always go in that order. It always starts with grace, then effort. Grace, then effort. And grace in the midst of our effort. It always goes in that order. A gospel of works flips it and says, no, we work in order to get His grace. That's not a gospel that leads to freedom and rest and delight and, frankly, growth and godliness. It's a false gospel. Listen to how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, yet not I, but the grace of God that was, in, that was with me. <coughs> Loved ones, are you working hard at your relationship with the Lord? Are you putting effort and energy toward it? Where's the Lord calling you to put additional effort and time? Is there some idol that you've been putting far more energy and effort toward? Where do you need to pursue repentance? Where, what's distracting you right now? What's distracting you right now from this make every effort to grow up in godliness? Where do, what do you need to turn from so that your focus can be on things above and on Jesus Christ and on, and on His world-changing mission to make, every, make disciples of all nations? May His grace toward you and I not be in vain. May we realize that as we work hard, it is ultimately His grace and power at work in us. That when we discipline ourselves saying, I, gotta I need to read my Bible today. And on some days we say, I got to read my Bible today. I should read my Bible. You put in every verb you want. In the midst of doing that, and we just, I got to go to community group. I got to be in community. I got to call somebody because I, I need prayer right now. In these daily living practical steps, the Lord is at work in those. We are resting Resting in His precious promises. And from that place of security and stability, we push off and we keep rowing and we keep standing and striving for godliness knowing it's the Father's work in us and through us. Church, you're 18 now. Whether you've been here for 18 years, whether this is your first Sunday, we're 18 now. Let's make progress this year. Let's grow up. Let's see our faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control and endurance, godliness, brotherly affection and love flourish. Let's grow in godliness. Let's make every effort to do so together as the people of God. How will this happen? 
through growing in the knowledge of who Jesus is, His good news, through dwelling richly in His Word, through remembering and reminding one another of His great and precious promises to His people. We need to remind one another of those. May grace and peace be multiplied in our lives in this place in the years ahead. Father, thank You that You are a a God, you are a Father who gives. Jesus, thank you that you are a Savior and Lord who gives. Spirit, thank you that you dwell in our hearts and in our lives, giving us the power to do what pleases you. Lord, I'll be the first one to confess that I need your help to make every effort. I need your supernatural help to turn from things that are distracting and fix my eyes on you, the author and perfecter of my faith and our faith. Lord, I pray that you would bear so much fruit in the once, in the years to come through this local faith family as we make every effort to grow up into Christ-likeness. May you ultimately be the one glorified. May your grace abound. May your grace fuel and drive and be the foundation to our effort. Thank you that you've given us everything required, everything necessary that we need for life and godliness. Thank you that you're with us, you haven't forsaken, and you are faithful, so faithful to finish what you've begun. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12, says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also able to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen.